It was a rough one for Allen Winans and the Atlanta Braves on Monday night, but Marcelo Zuna continues to stay hot. I'll tell you what has sparked his turnaround on this episode of Lockdown Braves, so let's get into it. You are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, and welcome back to Lockdown Braves, part of Lockdown Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I am your host, Jake Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. Also, make sure you check out my written work over at bravestoday.com. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at lockdown underscore braves. Send in any questions, comments, or feedback that you have for the podcast. Always enjoy hearing from you and your thoughts on the podcast, what I can do to help make this a better experience and listening experience for you. Make sure if you're new on YouTube, you hit that subscribe button. If you're watching there, hit the thumbs up button as well to help support the show. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of each and every day. Thank you to all those who continue to let me know in the comments section that you are an everydayer. And if you haven't or you just want to let me know again, please let me know down in the comment section below on YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnMLB or enter promo code LockedOnMLB for a free white tech hat with any order. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. On today's episode, we're going to recap that loss to the Mets on a Monday night, the rough outing for Alan Winans. Talk about that, what went wrong there, the decision-making with Brian Snitker. We'll discuss all of that, and then we'll touch on Marcelo Zuna a little bit, but in our second segment, our Taco Tuesday segment, I'm going to do a little bit of a breakdown, further breakdown in Marcelo Zuna, what's kind of changed, how he's gotten back to his 2020 form, We'll discuss that and also talk a little bit about home field advantage here and how important that really is going into the postseason and set you up for Tuesday's game where Bryce Elder will be on the mound. But let's get into Monday night's game, a rough one for Allen Winans, as I mentioned, a 10-4 loss to the Mets. This was the fight that I expected from the Mets up in New York. You remember going into that series, I said, you know, this is the playoffs for the Mets. They're out of contention, although maybe there's an outside shot that they – they make a, a wild card spot still, but I, I think that's highly unlikely at this point. But this is their postseason to beat up on their rival, you know, to, to take them out. And I thought you would see that fight from them up in New York, and we just really didn't. I mean, even the game the Braves lost in that series kind of felt like the Braves handed it to them. There just wasn't a lot of fight from the Mets in that series. It was not the case on Monday. This was, you know, the Mets team that you really have – come to see over the last couple of years, especially at the top of that order. And you had, you had Nimmo, you had McNeil, you had Lindor, you had Alonzo doing good things for that team at the top of the order and really just fighting to win the game and play good baseball. And that's what I expect from this Mets team. Again, I haven't watched them all year to exactly see what all has gone wrong, but that's the Mets team I expect to see. And they played really good baseball and they took advantage of some mistakes that Winans made and they really just poured it on and, and kept coming in that game. So, uh, again, it looked like a game where the Braves fell behind early. They came back, took the lead, and you just thought, you know, this is what the Braves do, and they're going to continue to go on, and they'll run away with this Brave, this game, and the, the Mets will fold like we saw them do up in New York. But that wasn't the case. So I give a lot of credit to the Mets in this one. They continued to fight and come back, and really they put the Braves away in this game. Now, it was a rough one for Allen Winans. Let's get the excuses out of the way first. First excuse, he hadn't pitched in nearly 10 days, so perhaps a little bit of rust there. He hadn't pitched in a while. Obviously, the command was not 
very sharp, so perhaps a little rusty after a long layoff. The Mets had just seen him not long ago as well, and they came into this game with a great game plan. Sometimes you never know how that's going to work out when a pitcher's facing a team, you know, back to back and in such a short span, especially. You know, you dominate one time against them, and then a lot of times you come back out the next time you see them, and that team's ready. They've seen you now, and they have much more success. You look at Michael Lorenzen. I used this example on the postcast. Michael Lorenzen throws a no-hitter against the Nationals. Not a week later, they touch him up for seven runs. So, again, you never really know how that's going to work out. Um, you know, sometimes a pitcher just has a team's number. You look at Bryce Elder last year, Braves kept calling him up to face the Marlins and the Nationals, and to his credit, he continued to dominate them. So, you know, you never really know how that's going to work out. Clearly, it didn't work out great here for Winans, but those are the excuses. Bottom line is he didn't, he didn't locate, he didn't e execute his pitches properly, and he got hit pretty hard. He was leaving way too many pitches up in the zone, particularly early in the game. I thought he threw a lot of sinkers and fastballs that were left belt high. And I think if you want to throw those up, that's fine because they can play off all your breaking pitches, that uh, slider, that changeup that are all moving down. So I'm fine if you want to throw the fastball and sinker up in the zone, but he wasn't getting them up high enough and he was leaving them belt high. You look at the home run by Ortega. It wasn't necessarily a terrible pitch. It was on the outside corner, but it was up belt high. And Ortega was able to get out there and reach it and pull it into the chop house in right field. So for me, it was just too many belt high fastballs, which is typically not a good recipe for success in the big leagues. And I thought he started to adjust after that. He started going to the off speed a little bit more, going to the changeup down and away to all the lefties that they had in the lineup. And I thought that's why he had a lot more success the second time through the order. Then that third time through, I thought the Mets readjusted to him. And I didn't think Winans and Murphy did a good job of readjusting. Also thought Winans just got a little bit tired there in that fifth inning. He started leaving pitches up a little bit more. Um, but I just thought, you know, they were looking for the off speed a little bit more that third time through after he had so much success the second time through. And for a pitcher like Winans, who it's all built upon deception, you got to continue to keep bouncing things around. You can't stick with the same thing three times through in order. So you got to keep keeping them guessing, keeping them them off balance. And I didn't think Winans and or Murphy with his pitch selection did a good job of that on Monday night. Bottom line, Winans didn't execute. He didn't execute his pitches like the way he needed to. And again, left too many pitches just belt high that got hit extremely hard in this game. And you can't walk Brandon Nimmo. You just can't. That is rule number one when you face the Mets. You cannot walk Brandon Nimmo. you got to make him beat you. And, and yeah, he's, a, he's a, a decent hitter. He's going to slap a ball the other way, pull one through the hole every now and then. But you got to make him do it. you got to force him to do it. You cannot walk him, mostly because I can't stand watching him sprint down to first base after a walk. But it's also you can't walk him in front of the middle of that order. And this is not the order that Winans faced the last, last time through. You didn't have – Lindor in there he wasn't facing the a squad of the Mets and he was this time but you can't walk Nimmo then he had Lindor 0-2 and he kept throwing pitches too close to the zone or even in the zone you got Lindor 0-2 you got to expand a little bit throw that change up down below the zone throw that slider in and down off the plate instead he kept coming in with the fastball and he left one in the zone and Lindor was able to rip it 
And then McNeil pulls one through the infield at 84 miles per hour, just out of the reach of Von Grissom. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying that Nicky Lopez gets to those balls. I, I don't believe that. Um, but either way, these balls, you know, get through the infield. Alonso gets a slider that caught too much. This is where I thought Winan started to get tired and where you probably should have brought him out uh, after that slider to Alonso that had way too much of the plate and needed to be more down and off the plate, especially after he got ahead there. But Alonso rips that one through the left side just out of the reach of Arcia. So a couple of ground balls that, you know, if they're a foot the other way, you're talking about him maybe getting out of this, but still just wasn't able to execute those pitches. And then he kept throwing that slider to Vogelbach, who was covering it. He kept crushing it foul. He was all over that pitch and they just kept calling for it and kept throwing it. And finally Vogelbach was able to keep one fair. So that's the one where, again, probably should have brought Winans out for that Vogelbach at bat, especially if Brad Hand was ready. I don't know the timing of when exactly he got up, but if Brad Hand was ready, he probably should have faced Vogelbach there. But either way, I just didn't care for the pitch sequencing in that at bat to Vogelbach, who was covering that slider pretty easy. There were also a couple of foul balls that were, you know, just a couple of feet into the stands. Uh, you know, if those get caught, I mean, Winans, it wasn't a great inning. He was tiring and started leaving a pitches, some pitches up and over the plate but he was also so close to getting out of that inning. I I'm okay with the decision to leave Winans out there to let him try to work through that. You got the ability to do that with the lead that you have. I know there's a battle for home field advantage. We're going to talk about that later. I was fine with leaving him in there to face that lineup a third time and to let them try to work out of that fifth inning. And again, he made some good pitches and got some ground balls, just unfortunate results there. But, look, if this were a playoff game, if the Braves were in a tight race, he would have been pulled before facing that lineup a third time. Snicker would have pulled him. I can almost guarantee you. So I, I don't worry too much about that. Yes, maybe Snicker leaves guys in there a little too long in the regular season. It's different managing 162 than it is a postseason. So I was fine with that decision, a chance for Winans to kind of hopefully grow a little bit. Hopefully he learned some from that. On the offensive side of things, Ozuna stays hot, gets a couple of home runs. Braves now have five guys with 25 home runs or more. Rosario is one home run away from 20, which would give the Braves seven guys with 20 home runs or more. Top of the order, went a little cold in this one. Michael Harris, Riley, and Olsen go one for 11. Granted, Michael Harris hit had four hard-hit balls in this game, and Olsen walked twice. So, um, you know, they were still able to get on base, had some hard-hit balls. Really, Riley in there is the one that he just looked completely off on this night. Murphy continues to scuffle as well. Need him to get going. Not sure if the every-other-day thing is beneficial to him or not, but certainly need Murphy to get going again as he is really cooled off here in the second half. Somebody who has not cooled off is Marcel Ozuna. Next, I want to take a little bit of a deep dive into what has changed for him this season compared to the last two years to make him look more like his 2020 self. We'll also talk about the home field advantage and just how important is that in baseball? Is it that important? We'll discuss all of that next. Been telling you about them for a while. The Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts. I absolutely love mine. I wear them all the time now. Uh, not only do they look great, they feel great, and that's what I love. For me, working from home, it's all about comfort you know, and how they feel, how they fit. And these don't feel, you know, like they're tight or anything. They, they stretch. 
uh, really nicely. They also have that anti-stink sweat wicking fabric. I don't know what that means or how real that is, but I can tell you this, they feel cool. And when you're on these hot days here in the summer, I go out for a walk in my bird dog shorts. I'm not sweating profusely. I still feel cool down there and they feel great. So I'm absolutely loving my bird dog. So thankful that they sent me a couple of pairs to wear. And again, I'm wearing them all the time because not only do they feel good, but they look good as well. I can take, I can wear them when I go drop the kids off at the daycare or need to go to a doctor visit, whatever it may be. They're great for all occasions. So love my bird dog shorts. I promise you, you're going to love yours too. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB or enter promo code at locked on MLB for a free white tech hat with your order. My wife took mine. I haven't even got a chance to wear it yet. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB or promo code at locked on MLB for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Braves and Mets will meet again on Tuesday night at 7.20 p.m. Eastern. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. So on our Taco Tuesday segment here, we got a couple of things I want to discuss, first of which is Marcel Ozuna. And what has changed with him this season compared to the last two years where he was pretty much just a huge hole in the lineup. And look, I'll, I'll say it, and I'll admit I was wrong. I heard somebody else in the in the comment section say, I need to admit I was wrong about Eddie Rosario. Sure, if you want to say I was wrong about Eddie Rosario, keep him in the lineup. What he does offensively far outweighs the negatives defensively there. I said it. I was also wrong about Marcelo Zuna. I thought he'd be gone by the all-star break and many of you did as well especially after that first month of the season even some of you who still supported Ozuna reached out to me then and said okay I'm off you're right he needs to be gone and now look at where he is and it's just crazy the change with Marcel Ozuna and how he has turned his season around you know maybe the rest of his playing career around so what has changed? What are the big differences? I'm not doing too deep of a dive in this one. I may do a deeper dive and write it up for bravestoday.com because it's going to be a lot of stat-laden material here, and I don't want to just overly uh, pound you with that as I know that's hard in kind of a, uh, this type of platform. But you go back to 2020 when he was an MVP-type candidate, or he was an MVP candidate, he had a walk rate of 14.2%. Now, that is just a ridiculous rate for Marcelo Zuna. But you look at 2021 to 2022, a 6.1% walk rate. That's cut in half, over half. This year, it's back up to 9.7, which is really solid. You know, almost 10%. You will certainly take that for Marcelo Zuna. So that's one key change there is that he's got his walk rate back up. One thing I've said all year long, and this was my issue with Marcelo Zuna that I said back in the offseason before this this year even started. My biggest issue with Ozuna, and I said all along, you put him in the lineup for 500 at-bats, he might hit 25, 30 home runs. I said that in the offseason, even when I said he probably needed to be cut. I said, you put him in the lineup, he's probably going to hit 25 to 30 home runs. Power has never really been an issue for Marcelo Zuna. My biggest complaint with Ozuna is that he never really did anything outside of that. He didn't take his walks. He didn't take his hits. You know, he didn't just shoot the ball the other way for a single to get on base. He didn't move runners over. He didn't do any of the little things in between the home runs to make him a viable everyday player. Yeah, he might 
hit 25, 30 home runs, but he's going to strike out 25% of the time. He's not going to get on base a lot, and he's not going to do really any of the other little things that you need somebody to do who is your designated hitter. So that's always been my big complaint with Ozuna. And the thing that's really changed the most to me is that he's doing those little things now. He's taking the walks. He's shooting the ball the other way, which we'll look at here in a second. But the walk rate is one big thing there. Again, went from 14.2% in 2020, all the way down to 6% in 2021 and 2022, and now it's back up to nearly 10% in 2023. So he's taking his walks. He's getting on base. That's great. His strikeout rate, it was 22.5% in 2020, and then between 2021 and 2022, it was up 2% to 24%, and this year it's 23.7%, so really about the same. Again, he's going to be a somebody who's going to strike out 22 to 25 percent of the time that's just part of his game it is what it is but again when you do that and then your walk rate is six percent and you're not really hitting for average either then you pretty much become a hole in the lineup but not the case this year you look at his isolated power numbers it was 298 in 2020 went all the way down to 187 in 2021 to 2022 and it's back up to 241 this year so you're seeing the power Go back up. Again, power's really never been that big of an issue for Ozuna. You look at his batting average on balls in play. It was an unsustainable 391 during the 2020 season. You knew that was going to regress some, but between 2021 and 2022, it was all the way down to 252. So we're talking about over 100 points difference from 2020 to 2021, 2022. This year, it's back up to a more normal 274 batting average on balls and play. So that's you know one of the reasons why you're seeing that average come back up. Maybe the shift going away has a little bit to do with that. Probably not as much with Ozuna, but you are seeing that batting average on balls and play normalize a little bit. Hard hit rate. Again, hitting the ball hard's never really been that big of an issue for Ozuna, but it it kind of was the last two years. It was his hard hit rate was 46.2% in 2020. In the last two seasons, it was all the way down to 33.5%. So you're seeing another statistic where it's down, you know, nearly 10%. Uh, that's just a huge difference. And then this year it's back up to 39.1%. So you are seeing him hit the ball hard a lot more frequently which obviously is going to lead to better results. And then this is the other key one for me. In 2020, he hit the ball the opposite field 26% of the time. Between 2021 and 2022, that was all the way down to 21%. So that's a 5% drop, another really big drop-off. And then this year, it's back all the way up to 28.7%. And again, that's been one of the keys for me. It's it's the walks and then him just being able to shoot the ball. How many times have we seen him just shoot the ball the other way this year? I forget what game it was, but uh, not too long ago, a bases loaded situation in the first inning, and he shoots one down the right field line to clear the bases. So many times this year, we've seen him just shorten up with two strikes and shoot the ball the other way. He wasn't doing that the last two years. It was just pull happy. How far can I hit a baseball looking for the home runs? He's become more of a complete hitter. And again, that's the big change for me with Marcelo Zuna. That's why I'm not really going too deep into this because I think you can see it with your eyes. You can see that he's taking more walks. You can see he's shooting the ball 
the other way more and putting the ball in play a little bit more. You can see the difference. You don't really have to go too far deep into stats and into the weeds to see the change in Marcelo Zuna and what he's doing differently. But for me, again, it's it's the it's the walk rate going back up to around 10%, and it's the opposite field percentage. And look, Marcelo Zuna is going to pull some baseballs, and I think that's where he's most dangerous is you come into Marcelo Zuna – he, more than anybody I think I've ever seen, has the ability to pull his hands inside a baseball on an inside pitch and shoot it to left field with authority. Again, you can throw him a pitch in off the plate, and he will get the barrel to it. He loves pulling the ball, and he's great at doing it. But again, what's been the big difference for Ozuna this year is he's not afraid to just shorten up and shoot the ball the other way to take his single when he needs to. And for me, that's been one of the biggest changes that, along with the walk rate, that strikeout rate still going to be there. He's still going to strike out a lot. That power's pretty much always been there, although he is hitting the ball harder now. But again, the walk rate and hitting the ball the other way, those are the two things that stick out the most to me. He's also crushing fastballs again. In 2020, he hit 389 against fastballs, which again, not really a sustainable number. But in 2021, he hit just 240 against fastballs. In 2022, just 237. This year, it's back up to 294 against fastballs. So, the timing also just really wasn't there the last two years. Wasn't able to catch up with those fastballs. Now he's back to doing that, hitting around 300 against that pitch. He still struggles against breaking pitches, batting just 177 against them. I said this even during the 2020 season when he was so good. Why every pitcher, you know, not every pitcher has a slider, but if you have a slider and you're not just constantly throwing him sliders down and away, I don't know why not. He cannot handle that pitch. He never has been able to. Like I said, he wants you to bring the ball in, middle in. That is where he wants you to pitch him. I would throw him sliders down and away all day long. I just think that's an easy way to get Ozuna out. But, you know, not every pitcher has that ability. But that has certainly been a huge hole in his swing. Again, even going back to that 2020 season, that was a huge hole in Marcel Ozuna's swing, and it continues to be. But he is on the fastball. You throw him a fastball right now. And he is able to crush it. He's back on time with those. So it's been a great turnaround for him. Again, I, I thought he would be gone by now. Uh, I thought he couldn't turn things around. It had been two years of just really bad play. He's still going to have his hot and cold streaks that we've seen. But again, the biggest change for me is that even in those cold streaks, he's still taking his walks. He's still shooting the ball the other way for a single every now and then and helping the team out in different ways. He can't play in the field. You know that. But He's been able to focus a little bit more at the plate here this year and turn things around. And what a turnaround it was because in April, all of you out there were saying he needs to be gone. He needs to be cut. You had joined me in that parade. And now here he is, you know, approaching 30 home runs on the season. And he's been a real big piece of this Braves offense. Now, the other thing I want to talk about on this Taco Tuesday segment is how important is home field advantage? I mentioned earlier, I was fine with Winans, you know, letting him work through that. The Braves have a big lead. And a lot of you on Twitter, when I said that, said, you know, yes, they have a big division lead, but not so much for the best overall record. And that's still very important. You know, is it? I, I don't. Yes, you want to play at home if you can. The Braves are 42 and 22 at home this year. They're obviously great at Truist Park. Braves fans are fantastic. You know, they're going to feel that that stadium. They're also 38 and 22 on the road. It, it just it doesn't mean as much in baseball. Now you look at the Phillies, they're 33 and 33 on the road. So they're probably a team you want to face more uh, at home than you do in, in that stadium in Philadelphia. 
Brewers are 35 and 20 on the road this year, so they have a really good road record. The Dodgers are 33 and 26 on the road this season, so not great, but still over 500. They're 42 and 21 at home. You definitely don't want to play the the Dodgers at home. So again, if you can help it, yeah, you want to you want to play at home if you can certainly help it. I wouldn't I wouldn't extend pitchers. I wouldn't you know pitch Strider and Morton and and Elder and free to death to try to get home field advantage throughout the postseason. I don't think it's that important, but yeah, you want to try to, to earn that. And I think that's certainly something you want to shoot for an article I found over by the action on the action network. It was written in 2021. It found that the home team wins 54% of the time in the postseason in baseball, which is the lowest percentage of any major sport home field advantage means significantly less in major league baseball than it does in the other sports. You don't have, or a lot of home umpire, uh, umpire bias. Uh, maybe you got some bad umpires, but they're usually not affected by the crowd noise. Players aren't generally as affected by the crowd noise in those situations. So uh, it's just, it's not that big of a, an advantage in baseball. Yes, you want it, but it, it's not like it's going to be a huge difference maker. You know, that's one out of every 12 postseason games that are decided, you know, because you're at home, essentially, that 54%. So, Yes, you want it. It's not the most important thing to me. With the new playoff structure, I still believe, and I know it didn't work out for the Braves last year, I still think it's just mostly important to get one of those top two seeds so that you can set your rotation for that first round. I also don't think you want to try to mess around to play with who you're going to see in that first round. I know there's some talk about that, that maybe the Braves don't want to you know, see uh, one of those top wildcard teams in the first round and that maybe they'd want to play around that. Look, I think the most important thing is to get healthy and to get one of those top two spots. And I've said that all year long. I think that is still the main goal for any team right now. Get one of those top two spots so you can set up your rotation and get a healthy lead so that you can get guys rested and set up for the postseason. Last year, the Braves, it went just down to the wire, and you had some unfortunate things go wrong with Freed being sick and Strider being injured that really hurt you in that series, not to rehash all of that, but I still think you want that, that buy. Yes, you want to be at home, but to me, it's not as important as it is in other sports. So again, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Do I want the Braves to do to get it, to get that best record and get home field advantage? Yes. But again, I don't think it's something where you're going to go all out for and extend your guys and, uh, you know, push your guys, your pitchers in particular, for something to achieve. But we'll see how the Braves play it out the rest of the way. Again, would love for them to get it just because I think it would be a great accomplishment, but it's not the biggest thing in the world for me. All right, next, you got some news, got some injured guys coming back. Speaking of getting healthy, you got Kyle Wright coming back, Jesse Chavez, some good news on Ozzy Albies as well. We'll cover all that here next. Braves and Mets will pick it back up on Tuesday night at 7.20 p.m. Eastern. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. So a lot of injury news coming your way on a Monday. Kyle Wright is set to start a rehab assignment on Thursday. Probably going to need at least four starts. Uh, I think that's what Max Freed got. So you're talking, you're talking, you know, middle of September at best. Um, again, we'll have to see how things progress. With Kyle Wright in his rehab, I'm still just a little bit skeptical of what he can offer and how quickly he can get back out there. 
to what level? I mean, you're, you've looked at Max Fried. He's four starts in at the major league level after his rehab starts, and he still is a bit rusty with his command. So how quickly can you expect Kyle Wright to get back up to speed to be you know, part of a postseason rotation? We'll just have to see, but it's great to, to see that he will be back out beginning that rehab assignment and looking forward to, to seeing what he can do because if he can get back to that level, it's obviously going to be a huge boost for this Braves team. Jesse Chavez getting closer to returning after it was found out. He did have a micro fracture. You know, a lot of you are asking me, where is Jesse Chavez? What's going on? Why is it taking so long? Well, turns out he did have a micro fracture in that leg after taking that comebacker off the leg. So uh, it's been taking him a little bit longer, but he is starting to ramp things back up and could be back soon. Ozzy Albies working on the field. Sounds like he could be back as soon as this weekend. The earliest he could come back is Friday. So, Great to hear that for Ozzy Albies, that he could be back sooner rather than later. And then Alan Winans, sit back down. Jared Schuster recalled. I'm assuming Schuster is here in case somebody gets blown up and has to leave early in one of these next several starts. You will need somebody to pitch on Sunday, so maybe he gets that start. I don't know. Look, the Braves, I say this all the time, the Braves are smarter than me. They know what they're doing. I'm just somebody here, you know, mostly a fan, giving my opinion. I don't love the yo-yoing pitchers back and forth. I mean, if you're going to go with Winans, give him a shot. Let him get three or four starts in a row in that fifth starter spot. I don't love moving these guys back and forth, what they've done with Soroka early in the year, what they've done with Kyle Wright and others in the past. Just It kind of irritates me and drives me crazy, and I'm sure it does as players as well. Again, Braves know what they're doing. I'm sure they have a plan in place, but just as a fan, from a fan perspective, it just kind of annoys me the way that they keep yo-yoing these pitchers back and forth from the minor league level. But we'll see what's in store and what the Braves have planned. I hope there's a plan to skip some of these guys, you know, the Strider and Morton and Elder and Free to give them some more rest down the stretch. In game two on Tuesday night, it'll be Tyler McGill versus Bryce Elder. Took the Braves a minute to get to McGill last time. They did end up touching him up for five runs and nine hits over five and a third innings. He has big stuff. I didn't realize he's almost, you know, touching 100 with this fastball, but hopefully the Braves can get to him again. You know, they can turn around any fastball. So hopefully the offense kind of gets going. They've been, you know, again, for, by their standards, four runs, you know, is kind of low, but you like to see them kind of break out, see those guys in the, the top of the order, uh, whether it be Olsen, Riley, see those guys get going once again. As for Elder, Wanted to see him continuing to, to locate, get ahead, get back in a groove like he did his last time out against the Yankees. Want to see that continue on Tuesday night, get him in a good rhythm going down the stretch here. It will be the Braves and the Mets on Tuesday night at 7.20 p.m. Eastern. It'll be Bryce Elder versus Tyler McGill. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. That will do it for this episode of the Lockdown Braves. Thanks so much for making us your first listen of each and every day. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. You can follow me at Shortstop Ball. Also, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Lockdown Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias. DC Lundberg. Ryan Finkelstein. Taylor Blake Ward. Host of Locked On Yankees. Locked On Mariners. Locked On Mets. Locked On Angels. And you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 